You're listening to At Home and Abroad, and we've heard earlier from Sheila Flanagan and Odin O'Cassidy about a wonderful event that's coming up in Toronto on the 7th of November. And you heard both mention somebody who was very much the instrument behind making a lot of this happen, and that is Robert Kearns. And Robert is well known within the Irish community, not just in Toronto, but in Canada, and also in Ireland, where he is recognised for his tremendous work in uh, the Ireland Park Foundation. Robert, welcome, and thanks for agreeing to have a chat. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here and uh, to have a chance to tell you about some of the things we've been doing. Um, as I mentioned, we, we were chatting with Sheila and Audrun, and that's about an event you have coming up on the, the 9th of November. Yes, it's going to be uh, a concert at uh, St. James Cathedral, uh, the Cathedral Church of St. James at the corner of um, Church and King Street, um, which is um, uh, the church, obviously, that uh, was um, very uh, very much favoured by Dr. George Robert Crisset. His brother was the dean of St. James Cathedral, and, in fact, uh, he died in the house beside the cathedral in uh, July 1847. So uh, Oren's uh, composition... Uh, and that of the of John Feely, uh, his uh, classical guitarist, and the members of the Garda Band uh, is going to produce a, a musical experience that we've never really heard the like of before in Canada. Uh, Oren made a fabulous contribution to the 100th anniversary of the 1916 Rising with uh, his um, Marvina composition, which was you know very well received, and uh, it's a beautiful piece of music. Um, the concert in St. James is going to include some elements from Marvina and some elements from his new composition, uh, which is a celebration and a gift from Ireland to Canada for the 150th anniversary of uh, Confederation. So it will include uh, a grisette movement, uh, another movement uh, that's referred to as Clinu na which is a lament for the children of Grosil, um, the Bell of Whitby, uh, the the story of um, uh, a young seven-year-old girl who survived the Atlantic crossing, and there's some 240 men, women, and children, including Terry Smith and her sister Sheila Smith and many other members of her family who are descended from that little seven-year-old girl. So it's a very poignant piece of music. It, the various other movements relate to the crossing uh, on the Atlantic and the loss of life on the Atlantic. So um, I believe it's the first time the, the famine experience uh, between Ireland and Canada has been uh, so beautifully and, and tenderly uh, treated by a really one of Ireland's finest composers and musicians. So it will be very exciting to hear. And his daughter, Shabelle, is a young 18, 19-year-old woman who has the voice of an angel. And... Um, her, her renditions of um, Misha Era and uh, some other pieces that will make that will be part of the composition are hauntingly beautiful. Now, Robert, I know you have been deeply involved for a number of years in and instrumental in Ireland Park and it being established in Toronto. A wonderful experience for anybody to go there and I was delighted to be able to bring my relatives recently who were over visiting and they were deeply moved. Grasset Park, as I understand it, in a way is a complementary uh, dedication to uh, Ireland Park. That's a that's a very good description and that's very, that's very correct, uh, Austin, because 
you know, Ireland Park dealt with the story of the migrants' arrival on the waterfront of Toronto in that summer of 47. But really, we have nothing in the city that responds to the fact that of the 20,000 people living here at the time, uh, very courageous men and women stepped forward and walked towards danger and risked their lives uh, and lost their lives helping these migrants. So typhus or ship fever, as it was called in 1847, would be the equivalent today of something as bad or worse as Ebola. There are medications now that seem to deal with Ebola, some of which I believe have been developed in Canada. But in 1847, there was no cure for typhus. If you had, if you were lucky with your genetic composition and your, you had robust health and a good diet before you left, you might survive. Uh, but most people who developed typhus succumbed, and those helping them and treating them succumbed because it was spread by lice. And uh, um, so it took, you know, everybody from uh, the hospital orderlies through to the nurses, the doctors, Bishop Power, Edward McElderry, all these people lost their lives. And up until very recently, with the exception of Bishop Power, uh, the story of all those other men and women who stepped forward was completely lost. Uh, Dr. Uh, Grasset was 36 years of age. He volunteered. He actually lobbied through his brother to be appointed as the attending surgeon at, at the, at the uh, emigrant hospital. He was appointed on the 18th of June, and he was dead on the 16th of July of typhus. We've just discovered recently that Dr. Joseph Hamilton, who was born in Queenston uh, near Newark, which was uh, which is now Niagara-on-the-Lake, he died towards the end of November. Um, nurse Susan Bailey, the head nurse, died at the end of August. Uh, Sarah Duggan died early September. Um, and three or four other nurses, as well as a group of, uh, of hospital orderlies, they all died. Edward McElderry died in October, late October, with a pregnant wife and, uh, and six children. All lost to memory, all completely forgotten. And we felt it was very important, not just for Canada, but also for people in Ireland to know that all these young men and women stepped forward uh, to help these people in a very, very difficult circumstance. So Grasset Park is really, it's a Canadian memorial in honor of Canadian healthcare workers. And with, to the best of my knowledge, there's virtually no commemoration in memorials of doctors and nurses and hospital orderlies who put their lives at risk to help people in medical emergencies. Uh, I mean, I, I can't think of any in, uh, that deal with the, the loss of life in 1918-19 to the flu epidemic. Uh, there is a cross on Partridge Island in New Brunswick to the doctor who lost his life there. And there are three or four urns on a stone altar on Grosil to the doctors who died there. But this is going to be a, an 80 by 20 foot um, public art installation on a main thoroughfare into the downtown core of Toronto on the last handkerchief of land of the hospital reserve where the fever sheds once stood. And it will be, a, it, we believe it will be a very emotive, uh, evocative place. 
that will tell the story of these young men and women, these young doctors, nurses and hospital orderlies who lost their lives helping uh, Irish migrants. And um, when you think about the, the story and the history of healthcare in Canada, it really is the formative period for that tradition in Canada, uh, that tradition of, of taking people in when others wouldn't and of re- taking them in regardless of their religious beliefs or the color of their skin or their, health, their state of health at the time they arrived on our shores. So, Robert, within the Irish community, the Irish story of the famine and the tremendous contribution to Uh, to the Irish that Canada has made is reasonably well known here. Have you found in your visits to Ireland that you're really on an education trip when you go over? That's also a very correct and accurate description. (laughs) Uh, Everyone in Ireland uh, thinks that the only thing that exists on the other side of the Atlantic uh, are the stars and stripes, and they see that flag dancing on the waves of the Atlantic. And sadly, they have a a, a serious myopic uh, perception when it comes to our beloved maple leaf. And really, my nearly 38 years of volunteer work in the community has been devoted to trying to create a better awareness in Ireland of of Canada's contribution and, and role in accepting migrants when others wouldn't, and of Canada's role in Irish affairs in promoting and helping uh, the story of home rule in the 1870s, 1880s, um, its, uh, its support for um, uh, Ireland becoming a member of the United Nations, its support for uh, the non-imposition of conscription in Ireland in the 1940s, a whole variety of things that Canada has done quietly that's completely ignored and overlooked. <clears throat> and of course, in 2008, uh, it was Jim Flaherty as Canada's finance minister who fought Ireland's corner at the G20. Uh, it certainly wasn't Brussels, and it certainly wasn't our friends at the south of the border. It was Canada. And I think finally what's beginning to occur now on the shores of Ireland uh, is a realization that uh, Canada has been Ireland's best friend uh, for the longest period of time because the links between Ireland and Canada go back to Taliyev Nahirsk. And the, and the fishermen who set out from New Ross and Dunmore East and Tremor and Waterford uh, for the Grand Banks of Newfoundland, they were doing that in the 16th century, long before uh, Irish men and women were walking the, 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 the land of the United States. So it's, a, it's, it's, it's really the nature of, 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 a Canadian, of the Canadian personality that we're not shrill or loud, and uh, we don't broadcast what we do uh, throughout the world. And so it's been very easy for people in Ireland to kind of, you know, airbrush it out. And, of course, in 1847, Ships for America, if you look at a poster from the Limerick Leader newspaper, it says Ships for America will depart this port, and then in very, very small print, and they will arrive at the port of Quebec. But it was all America at that time. It was Well, of course, that time was British North America. It didn't become Canada for another 20 years, very precisely 20 years later. So it was really after, I think, 
I think in the, really in the, since the 2008 uh, uh, financial crisis, I think people on the island of Ireland have finally come to realise that there is something very potent and powerful and overlooked for far too long, and that's the relationship between Ireland and Canada. And, of course, since then, we've had nearly 15,000 migrants a year come from Ireland to Canada and travel all over the country, and many of them are here in Toronto. And so that's the greatest movement of people from the island of Ireland to Canada since the famine. And so, you know, the, 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 uh, both politicians and, uh, and businesses and families all over Ireland now have relatives and connections in, in Canada. I mean, even, even the Taoiseach has uh, family connections here in Canada, uh, as does uh, Enda Kenny or the previous Taoiseach. So, uh, and, and Simon Coveney, the, uh, the Irish Minister of Foreign Affairs, he has uh, five uh, brothers-in-law uh, and sisters-in-law here in Canada. So I think for that and for various reasons, including the new CETA trade agreement, um, <clears throat> that's going to create a great deal of new business connections. And, of course, now we've got direct flights. So the planets have finally come into perfect alignment to permit relations between Ireland and Canada to truly blossom. And our desire and goal at our Park Foundation is to move on now beyond Ireland Park and Grisette Park to celebrate the role that those who survived the horrors of the famine, what they did, what they contributed. So our work is not just about those that died. We decided to start with that work. But really what we want to do going forward is to celebrate the contribution and the achievement of those who survived, those who came before the famine and those who came after. Well, Robert, you mentioned an interesting word there, and that is the relationship between Ireland and Canada. <clears throat> and we always see new generations of all um, careers, professions, etc. But there are also new, uh, a whole new generation of politicians. Would you say that there is an adequate or a sufficient awareness and understanding among the current generation of Canadian politicians at federal and provincial level of the Irish story and the deep contribution that the Irish have made to Canada? Uh, I would uh, indeed, Austin. Uh, both in the previous uh, government, half the cabinet were Irish or of Irish extraction. Uh, Peter McKay, Jason Kenney, Jim Flaherty, um, just to name a few. Um, and uh, in the current cabinet, uh, Seamus O'Regan is a very uh, great supporter of all matters Irish-Canadian. Um, James Maloney, member of parliament for Etobicoke, uh, very enthusiastic about his Irish links and, and heritage. Catherine McKenna, who was uh, with us in Dublin last week, both of her parents are Irish, and uh, she's very fond of, of Ireland and went there every summer as a child. Um, uh, so there's a strong connection, and we discovered in, in July that uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's mother was a Bernard or Bernard from uh, West Cork. And uh, um, Leo Varadkar quipped at uh, dinner at Dublin Castle that uh, if he plays his cards right, they might, might open a petrol station in his honour. So <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> so these are all, you know, very warm links between Ireland and Canada. And uh, I had the pleasure and privilege of, uh, of being in Dublin last week with Catherine McKenna and with uh, Kevin Flynn, Ontario's Minister for Labour, and Catherine McGarry, uh, Canada, uh, Ontario. Ontario's Minister of, uh, of Infrastructure and Environment, and, uh, and also Mary uh, Margaret McMahon, who's the uh, uh, City Councillor for, um, for the beach area. So 
these are all three levels of government who were all present in Dublin and connecting with Irish uh, uh, leaders in public life and business life in the cultural realm. And we want to build on that first step and on those foundations and create that awareness uh, not just amongst Irish politicians, but also amongst Canadian politicians. Um, Seamus O'Regan uh, has given up his seat now to James Maloney, who now leads the Irish Parliamentary Group in Toronto, in, in Ottawa. And similarly, there's a, an Ireland-Canada friendship group in the Dáil in Dublin. So these links uh, are—it's you know—they're all going to prosper and thrive. As uh, there's an uncertainty, obviously, with the future with Brexit, uh, there's a, there's no welcome mat at any of the U.S. ports for Irish migrants or for uh, Irish companies in the same way as there were before. Canada is the is the is the beacon of hope and the beacon of light on the western horizon, as it's always been, but. The, the, the view of it seemed to have been clouded. It's, it's now very clear and very inviting, and I think it's going to get better and better all the time. So let's send out the invitation then, because on November 9th um, is when there's an opportunity for the people in uh, the Toronto and Toronto area to enjoy Irish culture in Canada with um, 100% uh, Irish uh, heritage, musicians, everything. Um, where can they get tickets and can you give us some details, Robert? So uh, please ask your uh, listeners, Austin, to go to IrelandParkFoundation.com and go to events and they can buy tickets there at a nominal $30 per person. Uh, we can accommodate 800 people in St. James Cathedral. The acoustics are spectacular. Uh, the visual and acoustic experience in the cathedral will be memorable. And uh, to listen to Shabales sing Misha Era or to listen to her sing the number of other pieces that she sings is a spiritual moment and uh, not to be missed. And Oren's work is absolutely spectacular. So we're thrilled to have an opportunity to introduce this work. And also uh, we are hoping to have the full premier performance of the uh, Grisette Symphony, the, 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 the Symphony for Canada's 150, performed the night before or the night of the opening of Grisette Park uh, uh, next summer. So again, that website is irelandparkfoundation.com and go to the events tab. And on the events tab, you will be able to click a link that will allow you to buy your tickets, uh, irelandparkfoundation.com. And I know you and I, Robert, I look forward to, as July of next year approaches, uh, we certainly will talk again to uh, in keep up to date on what is happening and how that project is progressing. I want to thank you for taking the time. It's been very informative. It's been fantastic. And I know it will be a fantastic night on the 9th of November. Thank you very much, Austin. We're very grateful for the opportunity to speak to you and your listeners and to get the message out and to, to share with your listeners some of the things that we're working on at Ireland Park both now and in the future.